what up, what up, y'all? This is your host, George Becknell, and you are in the paint. This is episode number four. So look, do me a favor. If you haven't done so already, I need you to scroll down and hit subscribe for me. All right, let's dive into the topics. First things first, we have to discuss the complete dumpster fire that is the National Collegiate Athletic Association, especially what's going on in basketball right now. Last week, Arizona head basketball coach Sean Miller was caught on an FBI wiretap discussing a $100,000 payment made to freshman DeAndre Ayton. Now, this payment is assumed to have persuaded DeAndre Ayton to go to the University of Arizona. Wow. I mean, it's just everything in college basketball is just going to hell in a handbasket. Because earlier this season, Rick Pitino was fired for improper payments going on at the University of Louisville, and they had a national title vacated by the NCAA. Also, there are other schools investigated by the FBI right now. These schools include the University of Alabama, Duke University, the University of Kentucky, Louisiana State University, the University of Maryland, Michigan State University, North Carolina State University, the University of North Carolina, Seton Hall, the University of Texas, University of Southern California, and the University of Washington. So, four of the biggest names in college basketball, Coach K, which is Mike Krzyzewski, John Calipari, Tom Izzo from Michigan State, and Roy Williams from the University of North Carolina, they're all under investigation. So, you got all of the top programs, really, under investigation for improper payments. So, what are you going to do, NCAA? Are you going to suspend or put sanctions on all your top programs? You can't do that. But you going to suspend these kids for taking payments? That's not right. You know, you got a 17, 18-year-old kid that's being approached by some guy saying, hey, man, if you go to such and such state university, we're going to take care of you and your family. I mean, of course, that's attractive. You're talking about a kid. I mean, they're not even adults. You know, and if you think about it, all this money is being thrown around because there's so much money made in college athletics. You know, according to the USA Today, there's 28 athletic programs, 28 Power 5 schools that generate over $100 million per year. Now, obviously, most of that is coming from the football programs and the basketball programs in some cases. But that's a lot of schools that's generating a lot of money. You know, in the age of parity where... Uh, you know, you got social media, you got all kind of TV channels and, and all kind of ways to watch a lot of these smaller schools. 
the bigger schools have to find another way to catch to keep their edge. So of course they're giving people improper payments. This is not new. This has always been going on. You have to pay the players, NCAA. It's just that simple. Stop fighting it. Come up with some sort of system and give these players some compensation. Now, obviously, if you start paying basketball players, you start paying football players, it won't even be close to what guys can earn in the NBA or the NFL. It wouldn't be close. Like, you can't do that. But it's something. It's something to regulate the amount of money that some of these guys can make. Or it's also incentive for these guys to stay and go to college. Because I'm going to tell you this. You know, you look at a guy like LeVar Ball. You know, everybody thinks he's crazy. But... If anybody's going to exploit his kids, it's going to be him. And he's looking real, real intelligent right now. If you look at it, he's pulled his kids out, and they're playing overseas, and they're doing well, and they're getting all kind of attention. So when they're eligible eligible to play the NBA, <laughs> they probably will. You know, over there on the football side, you got the XFL brewing up. They're, they're ready to start playing in 2020. So... As the NCAA continues to look worse and worse and worse, it's just going to bring more options for these kids coming out of high school to have alternate routes to go to get to the NFL and to get to the NBA. So if the NCAA wants to keep the top talent, in my opinion, they want to keep their edge, they have to start compensating some of these players. And look, I get it. They're giving these people education. They're giving them scholarships. That's nothing to sneeze at. An opportunity to get an education is something great. And I'm not saying that it's not. But there's certain guys who come out and are destined to play professional basketball or football. And all of these guys are forced to play in the NCAA. I mean, they're forced. You know, somebody might say, well, they don't have to play in the NCAA if they don't want to. But let's be real. In college basketball, that's the only viable option you have to get to the NBA. Same thing with the NFL. College football is the only viable option. You know, for basketball, somebody might bring up the G League. That's a joke. Come on, man. The G League is an absolute joke. You know, who and who wants to go play overseas? It's not like it's Major League Baseball, right? Where you have the minor leagues that you could go play in the minors. You have a farm system you could play in. You can get fully developed and then you can get called up to the majors. Same thing with hockey. A guy could go in the minor leagues, make a living, develop himself, and get ready for a good career in the NHL. You know, so the NCAA has a monopoly on developing football players and basketball players, you know, but all these underhanded payments, 
are going to continue unless something happens. So let's tackle basketball first. Since basketball's been in the news lately, let's talk about them first, right? Obviously, the NCAA and the NBA would have to work together to bring about some change. So here it is. Number one, the NBA has to get rid of this one-and-done rule. They need to let the big-name guys, the guys that you know who don't want to sit in the classroom, who don't need to get a college degree because they're going to be millionaires the year after, just let them go play in the NBA if that's what they want to do. You know, you got guys like LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady, Kevin Garnett. The list goes on and on and on of guys who made the transition from high school to the NBA and were successful. You got to let that happen. That way they don't waste a year of eligibility or waste a scholarship that somebody else could have had going to play college basketball. Because college basketball, in my opinion, is better when you can just keep a guy for a couple of years, develop him, let him grow with the program. That makes college basketball better. But if you want to go ahead and stop a guy from accepting payments, then just let him go get paid. I mean, that's that's a no-brainer to me. Uh, number two, I bought a Major League Baseball. One thing about Major League Baseball and, and, and college baseball that's different than any other sport I could think of, when a kid gets out of high school, he can be drafted by a Major League team and say, no thanks, and go play, and go play college baseball. That's not the same way in basketball. And the NBA draft is such a crapshoot anyway to where you're not guaranteed a franchise-changing player if you get a lottery pick. That's not the case. So the second thing I would recommend the NCAA do is allow the bigger names to get drafted, see where they want to go, see what they want to do because the NBA draft isn't that great anyway. Let them get drafted. And then let them make their decision if they want to go to college or not. Seems to work for baseball just fine. And thirdly, you have to allow some type of stipend for these players. You have to allow, you have to allow it. You know, I heard Stephen A. talk about how programs weren't created equally. Because somebody's going to say, what about the guy at in the middle of nowhere university compared to the guy at Duke University playing basketball? It's not going to be equal because Duke University is making more revenue. They should get paid more because obviously a lot of people who are going to these big schools have gotten some payments anyway. Things are just starting to come out to the light. So, if the NCAA and the NBA could work together to achieve these three things, then I think then I think that's better for the sport. That's just me.
Now with the NFL, the NFL is a little different. I just think that college football, you need to play college football for three years to develop your body to be ready for the NFL. I mean, if you look at all the guys that come through college football, I can't think of too many players that might have been ready straight out of high school. Maybe a guy like Leonard Fournette. Maybe. And that's still a stretch. So you have to have some sort of alternative. Maybe that alternative is the XFL. I don't know. But for for kids to not want to do that, not want to make that jump, and go somewhere else like an XFL, I think you have to give them something. I think you have to you have to pay them something. Same thing for same thing as I said for basketball. If you got a if you got a kid playing at the University of Texas or you got a kid playing at the University of Alabama, one of the top money makers out there, of course they're gonna get more than somebody at Boise State. It just is what it is. But give the kids something. All right, moving on. So, something that's really caught my attention lately. Uh, the NBA Network has been doing the this players-only monthly special, right? Where you got two retired players that just sit down and it's just those two guys and they just talk. They talk about old times. They talk about their careers. They talk about their relationships, they just talk about all kind of stuff. Uh, the first episode was between Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas. I also saw advertisement for a Larry Bird, Kevin McHale one, which probably will be interesting. But the one that really caught my attention was the Kobe and Shaq one. Now, before I even go into uh, the whole reason I brought that up, just to give just to give some of you guys a little history. I don't know if everybody remembers this, but when Kobe and Shaq played together with the LA Lakers, they looked to be on track to be the best duo of all time. They looked unstoppable. You know, there was a three-peat. They went to the finals four out of five years. The sky was the limit for these two guys. But along the way, they kind of had beef. They kind of had some ego issues. Um, Kobe got in trouble at Colorado. Then he kind of threw Shaq under the bus, which, you know, is something a grown man shouldn't do. Comment publicly about what you perceive that man to be doing in his personal life. That wasn't cool. And then before that, Kobe kind of came on the scene where he was this cocky kid, and he just wasn't really popular. Where Shaq, on the other hand, Shaq was probably the most popular guy in the NBA at the time, probably Shaq and Allen Iverson. Because Shaq had the biggest personality. He was fun-loving. He always was active in the community, giving back to kids. So, like, everybody loved Shaq at this time. So when Kobe and Shaq kind of started this beef, then everybody blamed Kobe. And don't talk about when Shaq was traded to Miami. I remember hating Kobe for that. I'm like, how could you do this to Shaq? You know, Shaq is the most dominant player to ever put on shorts. You will never find another player like Shaq. 
Kobe's a carbon copy of Michael Jordan. It's happened before. You see it again. So I feel like I speak for everybody else who was a basketball fan, with the exception of some Laker fans, that Kobe was just out of line. Well, in this players-only conversation between Kobe and Shaq, Shaq makes the comment, well, he says, I didn't work out in the offseason because I knew how good you were. So I'm eating McDonald's throughout the offseason, not running, because I know you're going to get me back to the finals. And then Kobe responds, man, that's what pissed me off. I hated that. And that was, to me, that's reasonable. I feel like Kobe is justified in not being good with that from Shaquille O'Neal. You know, Kobe's a guy who's trying to win titles. You know, obviously his partner in crime was Shaquille O'Neal, the best center in the game at that time. It wasn't even close. I'd be upset with, I'd be upset with that too. So after what, 13, 14 years, we find out that with the Kobe Shaq beef, Kobe wasn't crazy at all. Kobe's competitive drive, wanted a guy who working out just as hard as he is in the offseason to go to war with. Because let's be honest, maybe if Shaq would have worked as hard as Kobe did in the offseason, Shaq might have been even more dominant than what he was. That's that's kind of scary to imagine. But just think about that. Shaquille O'Neal, as brilliant of a career he as he had, might have had a better career. He might have been clearly the best center of all time. He's still he's still in the conversation, but it might be clear. He might have retired a Laker. He might have gone on to win numerous titles with Kobe because just looking at it, I don't see a team that would have been able to touch him. You know, when the Spurs won their title in 2003, I don't think they were better than the Lakers. When the Pistons beat the Lakers in 2004, I felt like the Lakers had too many Chiefs, not enough Indians. Because that was the year that Carl Malone and Gary Payton went to the Lakers. It just was a mess. You you had Kobe and Shaq beefing. Then they had other conflicts within the team. Who's messing with whose wife and all this, that, and other. It was just a mess. So I think off-the-court issues kind of did the Lakers in. Then Shaq goes to Miami. think the Spurs beat the Pistons that year. But had that Lakers team stayed together, neither one of those teams would have beat the Lakers. Then the Heat in 2006, if Shaq don't go there, they don't win the title even though Dwayne Wade was brilliant. So, if the Lakers stay together, how many titles could they really have reeled off? I think they might have gotten Six or seven together, honestly. Now, looking back on it, for Kobe's legacy, it's probably better for him him that he didn't play with Shaq. He got to define himself as a player 
But it's fun to think about. Which brings me to my next topic. Being that they didn't win six or seven at least together. I don't have Kobe and Shaq as my best duo of all time. But I do have a top five for you. Here we go. And I'm even throwing the bonus at honorable mention. My honorable mention has to go to John Stockton and Carl Malone. They took a basic play to pick and roll and made that into two Hall of Fame careers. John Stockton, when he retired, was the NBA leader in assists. Carl Malone has scored the second most points in NBA history behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, these two guys were brilliant. They played together for years. You couldn't stop that pick and roll. The only reason why they're honorable mention and not really in my top five is because they don't have any rings. But they played just as well together as any two other players I could think of that ever played. So, Stockton Malone, honorable mention. Number five, Larry Bird and Kevin McHale. I mean, these guys in the 80s kind of did it all. You know, Larry Bird is one of the most clutch shooters of all time. Larry Bird has to be in the conversation for one of the top players of all time, just period. He was able to to play on the perimeter. He was able to play in the paint. Kevin McHale was able to play in the paint. In the 80s, they were able to get three titles together. These guys have to be on the list. You know, because if you think about it in the 80s, there was a lot of good teams in the 80s, man. You know, you had, obviously, Magic Johnson and the Lakers. You had the Bad Boy Pistons. You had Dr. J and his 76ers. For these two guys to be able to reel off three titles in the 80s, they got to be up there. Number four, I'm going to go back in time a little bit. I'm going to go... Oscar Robertson and Lou Alcinda, also known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And man, in the late 60s, early 70s, man, this duo was amazing. Now, they were only able to win one championship, which I felt like they should have been able to win more, right? But Oscar Robertson, you know what type of player this man was. The only player in NBA history before Russell Westbrook to average a triple-double. And, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, that sky hook, you couldn't block it. It was untouchable. So, they underachieved in, in Milwaukee together. But as individuals, they were great players. They got to make the, the top five. Number three, I got Kobe and Shaq. Now, Kobe and Shaq, Technically, should be number one. I feel like they were the most talented duo of all time. They definitely had the most potential. They they played together from about 96 to the end of the 2004 season. So, roughly about eight years they played together. They were able to go win three in a row. They were in the finals another time. I just wish that they would have been able to get along and stick together, man. 
Shaq being the most dominant player of all time, as far as being physically dominant, and Kobe, we all know the greatness that Kobe, that Kobe was able to achieve in, over his career. It would have been interesting to see how far these two could have gone together. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. Kobe did fine without Shaq. Shaq was able to win another title in Miami with Dwayne Wade. These gentlemen both had brilliant careers. But as a duo, they were almost unstoppable. Number two on my list has to go to Magic and Kareem. Showtime Lakers, what can you say about them? They went five titles in the 80s, including back-to-back titles toward the end of the 80s. I mean, Magic Johnson and Kareem were the perfect yin and yang. You know, you had Magic who was running the floor, who was kind of the orchestrator of the Showtime Lakers. You had Kareem with that un- unstoppable hook shot who just kind of slowed it down. So you had the best of both worlds on the same floor at the same time. You know, you had Magic get out and run. Kareem could slow it down. But they were unstoppable together. They won five championships. What can you say about that? And which brings me to my number one duo. Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Y'all got to be surprised, right? I mean, other than Bill Russell and his Celtics in the in the 60s, you know, these were the only two guys to be able to accomplish two separate three-peats. So they won three titles twice. You know, they were the only two Chicago Bulls to win all three titles or all six titles, excuse me. So, I mean, what can you say about Mike and Scotty? I mean, Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time. One of two players to average 30 points a game. He has six rings, five MVPs. Scotty Pippen, when Mike retired the first time, really defined himself as a top player in the NBA. He was making the All-NBA team every year. The guy was probably the best on-ball defender I've ever seen. Better than Michael Jordan. They worked so well together and they were in sync. And in the last six full seasons they played together, they won six titles. So to me, they're the greatest duo of all time. But I'd love to hear what you think. So my social media is in the description of the podcast. Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. And if there's anything else you want me to respond to, you want me to answer on next week's show, you let me know and I'll be glad to do that. So I'll see y'all next week. This is George Becknell in the paint.